OK, uh, we're joined uh, to go through some of these uh, stories by uh, the journalist uh, Eno Darty and David Leach, uh, formerly of the Labour Party, now, of course, of Goal. And uh, Mary Rourke, the former minister, was due to be with us, but unfortunately those traffic restrictions around Dublin have made it impossible for her to join us. But we will uh, press on uh, nonetheless. Uh, you're very welcome, gentlemen. Uh, look, let, let's start with 1916. Interesting, like, you would have thought we'd talked as much and written as much uh, David Leach as you possibly could but there's some really really good interesting pieces in, in the paper today uh, from from various writers There is yeah but I suppose we're, we're also as well as commemorating 100 years of 1916 we're, we're commemorating about 50 years of revisionism as well you know so I mean it's it's been an, it's been an interesting journey for us as, as a nation and how we look at this as well and I suppose 25 years ago when the 75th anniversary was celebrated it was in the middle of the troubles it was very difficult almost impossible to yeah. to look back and, and see it in any sense of perspective because of what we were it, facing. It, it went barely on, on, on marked, notice, yeah, you'd on have marked, to say yeah. so, yeah. Um, and today it looks like we're going to have all the pomp and, and pageantry that you'd expect from a 100-year anniversary um, of, of the rising. But it does raise questions and many questions are raised in the papers today about, you know, I mean, I think you mentioned already <coughs> the president's speech last night. I mean, the conservatism of the, the, caused by the executions Perhaps the conservatism was due. I, th- I think there's a piece in one of the papers refers to Balfour, who said in the 1920s that the state that was created, the conservative state that created, was was very much a British creation. And mm. I think that's probably true. If you look back on the land acts at the ed- latter end of the 19th century, it created a conservative landed um, peasantry, for want of a better expression. Because that you was could, you could come up with 20 reasons for the conservatism, uh, like you know the famine mm. being one, uh, the or. The, the time that it was, it was quite sure. a conservative time in many countries. I, I think executions would come well down that list. I think so, say. for me anyway. But I mean, I'm sure that I haven't read the president's remarks, which of course I will. Um, yeah, of course, <laughs> at length. But um, <laughs> um, you, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they're well thought out. <laughs> okay, uh, Eno Darty. Um, well, it's inter- sorry, it's interesting to say conservatism is the old joke that I mean, the Irish were the only people ever to launch a revolution to become more conservative yeah, than, the, than the overlords. You know, um, but now, ca- can I make the point just before you go on, like? There's there's an argument that that conservatism was the bedrock of the society that is today. That without that conservatism, maybe democracy wouldn't have survived. And I mean, there's very few countries that have as long a democratic track record as we do in in the world today. Well, I mean, I mean that is very true. But I mean, when it comes down to <clears throat> our innate conservatism. Um, I think it's just something that seems to be an international characteristic. It's uh, our conservatism and our ability to sell myths to ourselves about ourselves. I mean, forget about all the, the paddy rockery that we give out about coming from the Yanks and things like that. Um, nobody manages to gull the Irish quite like the Irish themselves. And even I mean, with Brendan O'Connor's piece um, on the, the splash on the Sunday end of today, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a good piece, except for the fact that it's completely and utterly inaccurate and wrong. Um, In and what way? Because we like to think that we're a nation of rebels. We like to think that we have this sort well, of... We've a man here I, from the rebel county as well. So. Oh, don't get me started on Cork. So it's too early on a Sunday morning now for this. <laughs> that this goes day. back to the on, on, on this, civil uh, war. You on, understand on this that. day when we should be unifying rather than dividing. <laughs> um, no, but the thing is, if you look at it... Um, we are a remarkably compliant uh, people. We like to sell ourselves the myth of the fighting Irish, actually. It simply doesn't exist. If you look at that, basically, we swapped the shackles of, you know, the British Empire for the shackles of Rome. Uh, we eventually got rid of the shackles of Rome, and we have effectively swapped it now for the EU, and to a certain degree, the UN as well. I mean, I was in this very studio, not on your programme, I was in this very studio a few months ago talking to a guy who I respect, who is an atheist, and he was talking with the UN 
with the same fervour and the same sort of, you know, dogmatic subservience that somebody 30 years ago could have been talking about the church or the Pope. Mm. And we have this incredible ability to swap one overlord for another while still at the same time peddling this great illusion that we're all basically independent thinkers and somehow a nation of contrarians. We're not. We're a nation of people who like to give out and a, a nation of people who like to argue. Um, don't look at me like that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was asked once, you know, are you a contrarian? And I said, no, I'm not. And it's like, you're kind of already walking into that trap. But the thing is, we're a nation of people who like to bicker. We're a nation of people who like to argue. But we're not a nation of rebels. I, I genuinely, I firmly am convinced well, that we are not, a, we're, we're more conservative than we are rebels. Okay. Look, it's, it's fair to say that we commemorate the people who fought in, 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 in 1916 today, obviously, and the people who went out on that fateful day to, to strike a blow. But each of them struck a different blow in a way. You've got to recognise that. I mean, they came from all sorts of different traditions. Some of them from the from, from what we would see as the far right of Catholic conservative thinking, some from the far left. Um, and they each struck a blow as they saw it. And there was a, a wide range of views within it. Yeah. And and the one that triumphed ultimately uh, was the conservative mainstream Catholic view, um, something probably that Pierce would have been more comfortable with than anything else. Um, but certain of the, pro- of the signatures uh, I, 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 have been. I presume what Michael D. Higgins, and, and maybe he's right in this, is saying that uh, if you look at the leaders that were executed, the likes of Connolly, maybe even sort of McDermott and so on, uh, the, the sort of the cultural nationalists that maybe they would have brought the country on, on a different path. But there's, there's no guarantee that, that they would have won out. Well, As you say, they were a very diverse bunch. They were a diverse bunch and they were united only in their, by cultural nationalism probably on one end, but I mean the Citizen Army wing wouldn't have been subscribed necessarily to that. But they, they were a diverse bunch and they, and they were rebelling for different things. It was convenient to come together but on you one see, this is the, One of the things I've noticed, I mean, of all the people that I've spoken to last week, I've been told in, by various different people that it was meant to basically bring in a workers' socialist paradise, by other people that it was just simply about getting rid of the British from our soil, by other people that it was basically about, you know, sort of a conservative agrarian um, development. And I mean, the thing is, I mean, we can talk about what would have happened if, you know, the people who died didn't die. But I mean, on the other hand, we could very easily find ourselves saying a situation, this republic would have been so much better if Eamon Del Lira hadn't been executed because he would have been the man to lead us into a proper thing. So what we're seeing is it, it, it's a complete chimera that everybody's mm. projecting their own prejudices on, on their own mm. sort of wants and desires. I mean, you know, only seven people signed the proclamation, but I mean, you know, there's three and a half million different interpretations of what that was meant to be. And some of them, as you see in the papers today, some of them are completely bonkers. Um, you know, with people sort of, and I love this idea that um, people know what the leaders of the rising thought. I just, you know, what, you know the, the, one thing, the one thing that makes me want to scream is when people say it's a betrayal of 1916 yeah. and what was fought for and they'd be turning in their... Well, somebody, think, so, so, how do we know what they... Somebody said they last week... They could have been disastrous. Absolutely. But I mean, somebody said last week and it was the nadir of that. Somebody said, um, did James Connolly die so the children of Ireland could be poisoned by fluoride? And my take was, well, I don't know, but, I, but, but I'd like to think so. You know, I mean, why, why we're being that absurd? Why not? You know, did Pierce die so my bins only got get picked up once every two weeks? I don't bloody well think so. Mm. And so basically it's become this sort of, um, it, it, it's allowed an awful lot of mad people peddle their very strange agendas by somehow draping, they don't even have to drape the green flag around them. They just, they drape the memory of what some people say basically are dead terrorists around them, you know. But this isn't uniquely Irish though. I mean, you know, the idea that we project modern thinking into past events. I mean, the Americans are past masters at it. I mean, they interpret the constitution on a daily basis as believing all sorts of mad stuff. The only difference between them and us is the madness seems to have triumphed. But their constitution is a living document though. I mean, that's the thing, you know, yeah, when, they, when their constitution it, it is so is, much more profoundly central to American life than the Irish constitution is to ours. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. but we're not talking about the Constitution in Irish context. Now we're talking about the proclamation, which isn't, which is, a, which is a statement of of, of aspiration as opposed to a, to a living document. Yeah. So it's a different thing. Uh, interesting. I'm looking at the, the Sunday uh, Business Post. They've two, they've two pages, uh, page twenty and twenty one. Four co- uh, common pieces: Dave McWilliams, Elaine Byrne, Ono Brin, uh, Oliver Callan. Oliver Callan says, "A century on, we still can't rule ourselves." Ono Brin says. Uh, what would Pearson Connolly make of a country where children are left to sleep in emergency <laughs> accommodation? Like, uh, uh, I mean, you you were saying Ian, we're a nation of of complainers. Are we? To, I mean, and nobody's saying that the nation is perfect or the state is perfect. But is there an argument? You know, we actually haven't done that badly in the last hundred years. Can I just make a point? No. I mean, before sorry, to yeah. cut across you, but just to make the point. I mean, the city in which a rebellion was launched a hundred years ago was a profoundly different place than what the city is today and we have immense social problems in this country today but they are nothing like on the scale they were like a hundred years ago today yeah. the depth of the poverty well the slums in Dublin were comparable only with Naples well we're, we're going to be talking to Europe, Joe I mean, we're going to be talking to Joe Duffy later on I think in his book he said something like you only had a I think a 40% chance of surviving to the age of 10 if you were born in the tenements, I mean, that is, that is, he, he, that is jaw dropping. Yeah, and whether we were independent or not, presumably that would have changed and would have moved on. But I mean, you can't yeah. neglect the fact that we've made immense progress. In 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 another piece in in Stephen Donnelly writes, I think in, in one of today's papers and in, in the Sindo, that we we lie sixth in the United Nations. Sorry, and um, indic- indicator of, of where <laughs> of where nations lie in terms of uh, in terms in terms of uh, of you know standard of living, etc. So I mean, we've made significant progress and we can celebrate that but there's never going to be a nation on this earth going to celebrate an anniversary or a commemoration and say we've got, we're living in utopia not even the Swedes no yeah. but even when you said I mean you know really were things that bad or whatever it depends on where you set your bar for what your definition of the success of an emerging nation was going to be um, now if you're if not you but if anybody's bar was basically um a Catholic stranglehold um, over a culture which has led to basically, I mean, you look at our still our very warped attitude towards sex and things of like that, you know, as a country. Um, you look you look at the, at the immigration I, rates. I don't think we have conservative views on sex anymore. But No, it's gotten big because the thing is, actually, still, are, we remember, not sw- are we not swung the other way, literally? And well, I mean, the thing about it is, is that we, 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 we've gone from a country that was... Davis looking at we, me very we've, strange. We've gone from an official country, that, from a country that was officially obsessed with not having sex, you know, and, you know in terms of, I mean, even the, the 80s, uh, early nineties when I was growing up in school, even I mean, the sex education back then was just, you know, if, if I was to tell it, if you say to the kids now, they'd look at you like you're gone mad, like you know what I mean. But yeah. but we had eighty years of a, of a of a very repressive brand of Catholicism that basically the Latin countries, for example, don't necessarily seem to have, right? Um, and then you, you you look at things like immigration, you look at the whole sort of you know the the, the culture begrudgery, and you're you're told to ask like, I mean, is that us as a people, or is that a creation of the state? Mm. that it came in. But I mean, the one thing I do know is that we do seem to have a very worrying uh, propensity to hand over um, our sovereignty, intellectual or emotional or political, to outside forces. And we've done it again with the EU. You can see that. I mean, one of the things in Michael McDowell's piece today, he was saying that under the, the Redmondite um, definition of home rule, that we wouldn't have had, you know, um, autonomy in foreign policy. Mm. We wouldn't have control of our armies and we wouldn't have autonomy over our fiscal policy, um, which is basically pretty much exactly where we are now. That's not. It isn't. It isn't. Hold on. Hold on. How, how much of our fiscal policy over the last four or five years has basically been signed off by outside forces? Yeah, but we were in a bailout. 
Definitely. Yeah. So that did it. But we set our own taxes. I mean, we, we like we wouldn't have had that right under Home Rule, for example. We do set our own taxes. We have our own army. We make decisions on neutrality. It's Neutrality is one of the really interesting questions. I mean, where we have certainly said, pooled some of our sovereignty. There is no we doubt pooled, about we that. We have pooled sovereignty. Yeah. Democratically but, done so by referendum. We've made this. We've made that decision. No, you're quite entitled to disagree with the decision. We've made a decision as a people that we will pool our sovereignty. We did so most recently in terms of the fiscal stability treaty a number of years ago, which you you mentioned financial sovereignty. We decided to give up more of that. But as 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 Shane rightly says, we were in the middle of a bailout at the time, so we we probably felt we had no alternative but to do so. Let's let's get back to some of the coverage because I there's some really good stuff today. Um, uh, Roy Foster has a piece uh, in the Sunday Times. It's actually. Dudley Edwards, who actually, I, I think whose views have kind of mellowed a, a little bit. I think her, her stuff has been has been very good in in the last um, in the last uh, n- number of weeks. Owen Harris has a really good piece about his grandfather in, in Cork, uh, yeah, uh, fighting in nineteen. But again, like, like it is a good piece. Uh, but it, he talks about the darkness of rebellion and the darkness of 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 his father's his grandfather's life, rather as a result of participating in in, in the rebellion and. I think a lot of the people that we're talking about who've written very good pieces, we must accept that they wrote them from their own perspective. Ah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and they're yeah. doing that. Gene Kerrigan as well's pieces worth it's mentioning. Very good piece, yeah. uh, he, I'm reading his book at the moment. It's 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 really interesting. And, and he's I've read it actually. It's a very yeah. very good piece. He, he's yeah, sympathetic yeah, yeah, to yeah, the yeah. to the, the the cause of, of the rising. And he talks yeah. about is it Charlie Soren? Uh, he talks about him the 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 basic decency there and of not having a chance to kill a soldier. Yeah, he was a sniper, and, and not taking yeah. yeah. because away, you know? he didn't yeah. have a bloodlust. You know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the things you know, like uh, the critics of the Rising, do they do they miss the fact that okay, the Rising did take place? There's no doubt about it. It was violent. People lost their lives, but there was an. I think it's fair to say there was a nobility about how they carried them uh, themselves during that week. Well, not we certainly not. we didn't see the slaughter that you would have seen around that, that time in sort of say the Balkans and Central Eastern Europe, where I mean the, the Serbs and the Croats were going at each other. You know, I mean, even and they were within uh, an imperial thing, so there wasn't a degree of that. But I mean, it could have been. You see, the, the problem, even when you were saying about Gene Kerrigan's piece and Owen Harris's piece, everybody is projecting. You, you, if you listen to Kevin Morris, he will actually list examples of transgressions by the insurgents. And he will list them in great detail and he will list the sort of, you know, the cruelty and the stupidity that went along with that. Then if you listen to somebody on the other side, if you listen to Michael McDowell or whatever, you will hear that, you know, actually, because it was, Asquith said, that they behaved with great humanity yeah. um, during the fighting. And then, so here, again, we go back to that very sort of curiously Irish thing of, there are as many different interpretations as there are people involved in the argument. And this is the problem. And one of the things I've noticed about today that I, mean, I was actually quite surprised and in a way kind of gratified, and I, I don't know if you felt it, David, as well when you're reading, it's almost as if a lot of the outrage has run it, has run its course by the time we got around to today because we've been banging mm. on about this basically for the last six months since the start of the year. And yet, surprisingly enough, that's had the strange uh, conclusion that a lot of the pieces are pretty more measured than you would have expected for a hundred uh, mm. anniversary. Kind of, you know, And it's almost because people have the sound and the fury could only last so long and it's yeah. been going on for the last few months and I think at this stage now people are it's not necessarily 1916 fatigue because that implies that everybody's just really really sick of it but it's a degree of just exhaustion about going around the houses for the same arguments at the same time yeah, and even, they've been well aired they've, they, they, they've been well aired to the point of repetition and they've been well aired to the point where basically 
even watching there was a very good prime time during the week and it was Dudley Edwards and Kevin Myers and you it was know, a good it was a good debate it, 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 it was I mean it, 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 I did it, fall asleep it, watching it but but when I woke up I rewound you have a really it. low bar for what's a good <laughs> debate don't you, you know? but I mean, but even that descended into just sort of the inevitable rank or whatever but I do think that actually people are tired of sort of shouting and nobody listening to them and they're tired of not listening to anybody else and it has just become this I actually I am firmly convinced now that nobody really gives it damn about Conley or Pierce or whatever we're just far more interested in actually uh, scoring points against the people that we're posted <laughs> okay. today um, th- that point Oliver Connell I, I, I think he's fundamentally wrong and he, he opens his piece to centenary doesn't matter it's nice and pleasant for academics in elbow patches to be relevant for a while and hear Liam Neeson reading out history and children chatting about war in their innocent way I, 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 I David I, I fundamentally disagree with that and actually I've just I've watched my own kids and how engaged they've become in in history and in politics as well because of this. Yeah, I, I, I think that's absolutely true. I, I, I don't think it's irrelevant. I think it's important. It marks something. It marks something for us as a people, as a, as a commemoration. I think it's certainly fantastic for, for our kids and you know the, the, the initiatives to raise flags in, in every school, to, to engage with the proclamation, to ask them to write their own proclamation for, for a 21st century may have ma- far more effect on them and, and their view of the world than reading uh, the cold text that's 100 years old. Yeah, I, I have to say, I, I completely disagree with you, lads. I think, um, I think Oliver Collins had a perfectly legitimate point of view. Um, oh, I'm not saying it wasn't a legitimate point of view. I just disagree with it. Yeah, well, I, mean, I think. I mean, certainly. I mean, I was out walking the other day, and there were a lot of flags in the area where I was around. And to be honest with you, I just struck. I said, "My God, are they celebrating Easter the way they celebrate Christmas now?" Or something. I thought that my initial instinct was that I'd gone very conservative, and then I remembered that it was this. Yeah. No, it's like for an awful lot of people. Look, we work in the media, and for people who are very politically engaged, or for people who tend to be banging certain political drums, this is really, really important. Now, it's. I think I, it's important for a lot of other people as well. Now, do you, you think know? it's important, or do you think it, it, it should be important? No. For no, people. I think There's it is important. Well, I was, Ian, I was, I was in, drove through the village of Lusk in North County Dublin yesterday and a centenary hurling match was taking place to celebrate a match that had taken place 100 years before. And the place was jammed full of people celebrating, commemorating the that, rising that, That's a good show. community get-together. Y- yes, I mean, nobody's, nobody's having a put with that, but you're ta- when you're talking about the more the drier historical uh, commemorations of it... And the, the, but history's only dry and historical because you want to make it dry and historical. I mean, it, I don't. I think the commemoration has done quite well to make it not dry and historical, and tomorrow we'll see in a, an opportunity for people to engage across the city and the country um, in, the, in the rising in a non-dry and non-historical way, and I think we should encourage that because ultimately that's what our kids will remember into the future and that's what they'll take from it and I think the kids in Lusk yesterday enjoyed the hurling match and they'll remember that as the way they commemorated the Rising the Rising should be for what pe- to pe- for pe- be for people to celebrate what they want to celebrate and commemorate what they want to, s- to commemorate mm. I don't think the state should impose that nor anybody else and I think that's fair enough you know okay. I think but that's but no, it's curious to say that you know the commemoration should be for I and mean, this is the point I was making earlier that it should be for whatever people want it to be yeah um does that not mean then that it is of itself inherently and essentially meaningless? Because if you can apply, you know, if you if you can apply your own interpretation onto something, does that not mean that it has no meaning of its own? But a third of people, a third, a third you know, of people on this side, it's far too philosophical for a Sunday Sunday morning. Listen, just just before we we move on, um, Kira says, "Jesus, would you give us a break?" Uh, Oliver Cannon was right, sick to the back teeth of 1916. And Kira, I'm sorry. I've no time for people who say I don't want to hear anything more about 1916. It happened. It was the seminal well, event. entitled in our to be history. bored now as well, though, Shane. She's entitled to be bored, but I'm entitled to disagree with her. <laughs> you are to be bored. Okay. Uh, thanks, thanks for the text. Thanks for the text, though, Kira. Um, just just before we move on, what's your personal view of 1916, both of you? I'm just curious. Uh, through the veil of being very, very reluctant to impose, uh, Dermot Ferret made a good point. We can't impose our worldview on 
what the events of 100 years ago. Uh, despite that, um, I look back at them as a bunch of terrorists. Really? Yeah. That's too simplistic. It's, you asked me, before we go to the ad break, Ian, give me, give me your quick soundbite <laughs> of, you, of what you think 1960 was. <laughs> no, your soundbite was too simplistic. No, the, the simple fact of the matter. They were revolutionaries. Uh, they weren't I, terrorists. Uh, Oh, let's not get back into it. I mean, we're going to be talking about Brussels now in a while, for example. Yeah. We, we can get into that. The simple fact of the matter is that if you go out and you shoot people with no mandate, uh, dead is dead if you're dead. End of story. And I, okay. again, I, I come from a working class Dublin background, which would have had, at the time, uh, would have had people serving overseas and stuff like that. And so there was, I grew up with it, the, the unspoken resentment against the heroes in 1916 that people felt they couldn't say. So that's something that, but the thing is, that's my baggage and I'm quite comfortable. Yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to interfere with how anybody else is going to recommend it, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, sh- I share some of, of what I wouldn't be. Uh, I, I, like, I think you have to have a train walk in the shoes of whoever, whoever you're thinking about. And, you know, the, the 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 people that went out and fought in 1916, I have certain empathy for them and I can, you know, see from their perspective. I don't necessarily agree with it now. And, and like, my my own background um, wouldn't be dissimilar from Ian's in the sense that, the, you know, that there was, you know, there was a, a, a huge body of people fighting in the First World War that would have seen it as a, you know. Many a, of those a, people, uh, uh, you know, in working class communities doing so because it was the only way they could make a living. I think that's overdone, to be honest with you, Shane. I think well, that's, I people, think people who are fighting marked, the military are only doing it because it's the only way they can make a living. Yeah. That's, that's I think standard, that's overdone, you know? Shane. I think I'm the vast majority sure. of people that marched off in 1914 and 1915 and 1916 marched ahead of a, ahead of a, with a band at their head and with flags waving and there were Union Jacks in this city and Cork and mm. Belfast and everywhere else. And I think we can overdo it. But, but that form of violence is, is okay and No, it's not. I mean, it, every all of this decade of commemorations is filled with ambiguity. Yeah. I mean... A hundred years of the Battle of the Somme will be celebrated yeah. in July, or, or commemorated in July. Many Irish people died in that battle. Nobody but a lunatic could think it was a good thing that those men went over the top and marched into into machine gun fire. Nobody but a lunatic could think that. Mm. That doesn't mean you don't commemorate the people that did it and the reasons that they did it. I mean, they felt they were fighting, many of them, for Ireland as well. You're listening to The Sunday Show, Shane Coleman, with you until uh, noon today. We're going through the uh, Sunday papers with David Leach and Ian O'Darty. Mary Work was supposed to be with us, but unfortunately, those traffic uh, restrictions around the capital have uh, taken her toll. She wasn't able to make it in, which is unfortunate, but uh, we'll, we'll press ahead regardless. Ian, you wanted to say something about um, the families of the the leaders of 1960. Yeah, this is something that's been baffling me for quite a while. That I mean, the last time I looked, I thought they'd fall for a republic. I thought we'd actually try to get away from the idea of dynastic inheritance of political influence. And <clears throat> this idea that um, the descendants of these people somehow have a, a, an automatic divine right to any sort of, uh, to exert any sort of influence on any planning permission or whether it's the wall out in Glasnevin or whether it's in Moore Street, <coughs> excuse me, um, or whether it's to do anything. And it's, it's the sheer arrogance and the sense of entitlement that these people seem to have, one or two of them in particular. Um, you'd swear that they were the ones who were doing the fighting. Well, well I suppose they, the would say, they would say they would say their their loved ones, their descendants um, yeah, well, here's the did thing. lay As a country, We shouldn't care. You know, and if that's the case, basically, you know, if they're going to take all the credit, well, then you have plenty of revisionists saying, then are, are they going to pay reparations for the damage that their grandfathers caused to this city? I mean, this is when you get into that completely ludicrous. This we're we're, we're is, specifically talking about, are you specifically talking about this, this wall in Glasnevin and the idea that, which I have to say, I, I think it's a pretty, uh, I think it's a good idea that all the names of the people who, what, 450 people yeah. who lost their names in, who lost their lives, rather, in the Rising are named on this wall. Today. You might as well do a touchy-feely inclusive wall. If you're going to do a touchy-feely inclusive monument, you might as well do it and do it properly. On this idea then that, you know, that somehow there should be a, a hierarchy of death, 
you know, whether they were the rebels who died or whether they were the innocent civilians or whether they were, you know, there were people who were being paid by the Crown. But it really... Um, and I, a, a lot of people that I know, um, it really seems to stick on their craw, this idea that um, this unearned, undeserved, um, inherited influence that the relatives, the, the descendants of the 1916 people have. I mean, I, just, I, th- I thought it was very interesting in RT News yesterday. They said that uh, at, at today's uh, commemorations, they said that um, there's a special area put aside for VIPs, uh, certain family members. And don't forget, there's a transport strike. And it's like, oh, the more things change in 100 years. You know? mm, okay. like, you know? uh, let's talk about the, the 32nd uh, doll, uh, D- David Leach. Um, what, how do you see things shaping up? It does look like a, minor, a, a Fine Gael minority government. Still, although the Sunday Independent reporting today that maybe Micheál Martin is making some ground in, in the race to be Taoiseach. I'd be certain of one thing. I think we'll have an election within 12 months the way it's shaping up. Would you? Up. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if like, Fine Gael are on 50 and 79 is a majority, um, even if you take um, Fianna Fáil out of the vote for Taoiseach, if that's what you know was agreed for some reason that would bring the majority required down to 57 58 i think so um they're still on that vote seven or eight independent short but say they were to get 60 for example which would be a fair ask now that they had ah, they'll get to 60 okay well that'll be 10 independents I mean, they'll have two till the greens will will go with them i would have thought okay um i think you'll at least get 10 independents you may okay get well more. that's 62 yeah. so so you're going to try and run the doll with 62 votes out of 158 if it's a minority government, though, does it really matter if you're five short or 25 short? Because they're going to need Fianna Fáil probably abstaining on, on budget votes and confidence votes. But why would Fianna Fáil do that as soon as... I mean, we still have fiscal Because they don't rules. want another election either. Well, they want an election sooner than Fianna Gael want an election. Mm. Um, so uh, I think that we might get one budget out of it, um, but I think certainly 2017 won't go past before there's an election. I, do, I don't I don't see it lasting beyond that. The numbers are simply, I mean, look, events, dear boy, as Macmillan said, I mean, there are too many things that can happen, too many tight votes. I don't see this 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 sustaining itself but beyond can, the end of next year. How can anybody possibly think? that there can be any sort of a stable long-term government formed out of this makeup. I I, I'm, I'm, it's they, one of those things do, where... They I, do I it in other countries. Oh, on the other well, hand, I'm in Belgium... Really look, hold on, if, 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 if you want to take the example of other governments... They have coalition governments that you, yeah, yeah, but if you want to take the example of that, I'm in Belgium... Minority, like Belgium, Dem- Belgium Denmark, went 383 days without a government being formed. and you yeah. know, but Up until last week, we would have said they were fine, you know. Um, no, but it just it, it constantly... I find myself reading the political analysis pages going, am I really missing something here? And a lot of the time you find... Actually, no, you're not. That, I mean, that there were people who still, you know, political policy watchers who seem to think that there can be some sort of a long-term, stable, meaningful government formed out of this. And I just honestly cannot see... And when you look at the personalities involved, when you look at all the various different... Um, the tectonic plates, you can see the way these things are certainly moving. I mean, I think it's... It, it, obviously, we want a stable... Uh, halfway decent government that can help to govern the country but they're not going to ar- arrive from it from this I can't see any uh, it would be great to be proved wrong but I mean I thought it was interesting that in, in things you never thought you'd see I mean Jean Carrigan basically today sort of has gone God you nearly you'd, you'd nearly kind of hanker after a hoi or you know a, 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 a serious pragmatist um, who can kind of get things together I think Enda Kenny is a serious pragmatist if nothing else He seems to be busted flush even in his own party so you know mm. Um the Stephen Donnelly uh, yeah. is writing in in the Sunday Independent uh, today. Uh, David Lee, what did you make of his piece? Well, for somebody who's declared that he won't be part of any new <laughs> government, <laughs> I thought it was an interesting piece. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, 
I suppose it's great advice if he takes some of his own medicine, you know. Um, I, I, that was the elephant in the room, I thought. It really I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Um, but look... I don't... Um, uh, the Social Democrats... Oh, he's saying... Well, compromise... Compromise tell us, first of all, is what, what a politically toxic thing. Yeah. It's become... In politics across the world, compromise has well, become... Tell us what Stephen Donnelly is saying in his piece, essentially. Well, he says we should argue that we should get on with it. I mean, basically, is what he he seems to be saying to me. Anyway, he seems to be saying we should we should get we should get on with this, and uh, and and the government should be formed. Um, you know, something something should be done. Somebody somewhere should do something. Well, what, it's, it's it's the practical things. Like I mean, our Moody's rating got slower. With each month that goes on, without those mm. not having a, well, it a hasn't government. Yet. No, but this is the, these would be the worries that you're going to have. That is, is you know, I think most people who voted feel that like you know we did our part. You know, we got out and we voted, and now it's up to it's up to the politicians yeah. actually just to actually to do their part. And the ridiculous grandstanding and all the op eds that we're seeing from politicians and things like that, and they're all just working off their own agendas. And people, we're all savvy enough now. And but the, at least the, we the stopped listening to the, the, to the to the to the calumny that uh, dollar form is the most important uh, item on the agenda. That seems to have subsided. Oh yeah, yeah, today, that, yeah, that got kicked to touch pretty really quickly already. You know? yeah. What do you make of the Social Democrats and their decision not to go into to government? Are they targeting the Labour Party? Is that the, is that the long term aim? As a former Labour Party, uh, look, it's it's clear official. that th- that um, they're prioritizing political growth over uh, over over government formation or over over um you know getting their sleeves rolled up and 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 getting involved it's, that's clear but it's also i mean they're not alone in that i mean that's something you could accuse certainly Sinn Féin of Fianna Fáil of i think and you know all the parties this, this is, is like a slow bicycle race nobody wants to be in uh, this is exactly has always been i mean even you know i mean as we were watching the the the, the edifice of our nation collapse around us before the bailout and things like that. as Fianna Fáil as the various different TDs were losing it was amazing you looked at all the resignation speeches they all said they did their best for their party and for the country and they always said it in that order and nobody marked this it was, this, this is the thing it's all about the party mm. it's all about the party they did say to be fair that they weren't going to go into coalition with Fine Gael before the election. I think the big, well. the big point here is though that you know the Progressive Democrats were a small party in a coalition and they no longer exist. The Green Party were a small party in a, a smaller party in a coalition and they were they were wiped out and fair enough they're they're back. Um and then the Labour Party was a small uh, par- smaller party in a, in a much bigger coalition admittedly a much bigger party see, the Greens, but, the, but the, the, Greens, the consequence was the same for them the Greens will kind of survive in one iteration or another and they always will because there's a Green movement across yeah, the world that's right. the Labour Party will always survive in one way or another because there's a Labour movement across the world the PDs didn't survive because that's there's right. no PD movement across that's true, the world yeah. mm. that's you know? true okay. but the point the point is, is, is still that Fianna Fáil is in dread as are the Social Democrats as is everybody else of being a smaller party in a coalition arrangement and suffering the consequences of that. That's yeah. clear. Um, I have to ask you, um, David, as a, as a former Labour Party official, the, the lead story in the Sunday Times, knives out for Burton ahead of Labour meet. I mean, I would have thought it's highly unlikely Joan Burton would stay on as, as leader. I'd imagine so. I mean, all I can tell you is that there, there must be a leadership election by the 26th of August. A new leader must be elected by the 26th of August. So um, I have no idea whether the Labour Party is uh, is going to embark on that very quickly or not. I presume the delay in the formation of the government has delayed that as well. I'd hope... 37 seats to 7, though, would, uh, in, in two elections. 
and obviously there were many reasons for that, but it's hard to see a leader surviving uh, that kind of situation. Yeah, and particularly since the, the, the Labour Party support during the election fell and, you know, she wasn't seen to have a particularly good campaign. So you'd imagine that. I think, well, I mean, as a journalist, I imagine like all journalists, we all hope Alan Kelly gets it because no shortage of material. Yeah, I, I, I suspect a lot of people in the Labour Party wouldn't necessarily no, agree with that. Yeah. Um, you care to comment on that, David? No, have you? Cho- would you have a preference for uh, the next leader of the Labour Party? Uh, I'm sh- I'm sure there'll be many fine candidates offering themselves for leadership of the Labour Party, and you know I'll. I'm happy to look from afar and admire them all. Uh, did James Connolly really uh, die to hear these cliches yeah. every morning? Uh, out like of this. politics, but but still political. Um, okay, uh, one of just uh, lots of texts coming in on 1916. Uh, Lauren Dublin says the 1916 rising had little support and was executed with complete incompetence. The whole event was a failure. Yeah, except it did actually achieve its aims. Um, Sivan Cork said, I asked my nephew what he thought of his school's proclamation day. His reply was that all the important people got cakes and beverages and the kids got F all. Nothing new there. Uh, 1916 was a suicide mission by terrorists. Violence is never the answer. Stop banging on about it. We're sick of this at, at this stage. Okay. Uh, I think that's ridiculous. But anyway, uh, we're not allowed not to... No, Shane, it's a perfectly legitimate... It's not a, it wasn't a suicide mission by terrorists. No, that, that is just, that's, 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 a piece so of hyper, no, that's a piece of hyperbole in a, in a text that's coming yourself, in. That you use yourself, pretty much. You know, uh, no, but, yeah. but no, but the thing is, it, it, it is a perfectly legitimate... Uh, argument to put forth that basically you had no mandate um, and again it goes back to what I said that whether it's you know the victims of terrorism are dead dead is dead and these people were killed Yeah, and in a situation that was yeah. created by this they, they were also I, fighting against a brutally oppressive oh, this, regime this, this, is, actually, mean, this like, is one of the things that always struck me is like the sheer military this, yeah. the sheer military incompetence of the rising and when, at a time when basically there were far more uh, people in this country who had been professional soldiers who'd fought in the British Army and stuff and it's one of the things that always stunned me is the sheer ineptitude um, of their tactics when they went around things I mean there's, there's nothing you, to the, yeah, the you, rebels are the rebels yeah but you you know we need to be clear about this though I mean the culture of blood sacrifice was integral to what they were doing. Yeah. I mean, no, this wasn't a uniquely Irish thing. I mean, the culture of blood sacrifice was, you know, evident happening across on, on, Europe, unfortunately, yeah. and happening in much bigger numbers across Europe at the time. So, I mean, they set themselves up in a certain way. It mightn't. I mean, I'm no military expert, but it doesn't strike me as being the most military sensible thing to do. But they were, they were, they were, they were doing it for a reason to have that blood sacrifice. Um, you know, to. to and Shane, can and, you honestly say that somebody like Pierce or whatever wasn't quite enamoured with the idea of the blood? sacrifice? Sacrifice and a suicidal terrorist well, makes it a fairly. I, I don't. Fairly, I mean, I, yeah. he wasn't alone there. Yeah. No, no, absolutely not. I, I think the blood sacrifice thing is exaggerated myself. But um, Kevin says, "Thanks, heaven, Shane has such intelligence and incisive guests to remove his rose-tinted glasses about 1916." I don't have rose-tinted glasses about 1916. But you have brilliant guests. Lots of people. It, it, I do have great it's guests. It's a consistently good show for the guests. I yeah. find Jess. I am glad it happened though. <laughs> I'm I'm glad we live in a republic today. Uh, I do accept a lot of people died. I'm not sure if it was worth that price, but. But I am glad we do live in a republic. But anyway, keep your text coming to 53106 at the cost of 30 cents. Can I just make one point here? Yeah, I mean, we we as a country were the first in the British Empire, you know, since the Americans to, to strike a blow for freedom and all the rest of it. But all of the other countries on which the map of the world was pink are no longer pink. The vast majority of them know. I mean, we didn't yeah. necessarily have to have a 1916 rising to become a republic yeah. I mean, many well, of those well, countries are republics yeah, but many of those e- countries easy are saying that with hindsight and many of them yes, aren't it is. It is. Scotland it is. isn't a republic for example Wales isn't a republic no I mean the, we, there's no there's no guarantee we wouldn't have ended up like those two countries or we could have ended up like Australia and Canada 
on the other side. We could have. You know, yeah, I mean, it's impossible to, but pu- to prove the counterfactual. I think we should commemorate and celebrate what we are ce- celebrating, but let's not say that it was all, you know, for one reason and one reason only something happened. No, no, I'm this is the thing I, as well. I, 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 mean, I didn't but get a chance is to George War- Is George Washington a terrorist on, on that basis then, if, if, uh, if the 1916 leaders are? He had a democratic mandate. Yeah. No, but you go back into something that I didn't get a chance to say when you said... Um, about the schools waving flags and things like that. I mean, I can't have been the only person who felt very uncomfortable about the idea of kids waving flags. I don't like to see kids waving flags. What's, wrong, lo- with us, what's wrong with us waving our national flag? What is wrong with that? I've never and our national flag is a symbol of unity. It is. The symbol itself is a symbol of unity. It might mean lots of things to other people, but it was, it, it was you know, the green, the orange, together on the one flag. That is a symbol of national unity. As somebody unity. who grew up as a, as a product of the Irish education system, which sold such a warped idea of history, both globally and nationally, um, I just don't like seeing uh, kids being sold uh, probably what would be another warped idea Waving of history. The, the national or national flag. And the proclamation stuff. Yeah, I just, look, I mean, I feel I reserve the right to feel uncomfortable when I see kids <laughs> waving flags. I just do, you know. I mean, it just it reminds me too much work goes on 120 miles up the road as well. Yeah, right? I, I think it's a much healthier situation than it was 20 years ago where people were afraid to wave the tricolour. I, I actually think it's Jack, also Jack, very Jack, important. I think we, we Jack Jarton had for reclaiming the tricolour. If the situation the for 20 years ago had become any more unhealthier, we would have had full scale ethnic <laughs> cleansing for God's sake. Like, you know, yeah, but it's also high. very important that the our children today know that the flag is their flag. It doesn't belong to any one political party, any one tradition. It belongs to, to them, to all of the citizens of this republic. Welcome back to the Sunday Show. Uh, Shane Coleman here on this Easter Sunday special edition of the Sunday Show. Uh, David Leach and Ian O'Doherty uh, join us as well, uh, going through the Sunday papers. Uh, Ian, um, obviously extensive coverage of the uh, atrocity in, in Brussels. Um, what did you make of events during the weekend and the coverage of it during the well, week? Well, can I just say, we, we've just we've moved on from venerating um, unelected men of violence to now condemning unelected uh, yeah, men on. of don't, violence. Don't, um, don't draw a comparison between 1916 and ISIS now, come on. N- no, but it goes back to, the goals are different, but dead is dead. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Look, one of the things I've noticed is the smoke hadn't stopped in the, in the metro station and already there were people out looking for excuses and looking to blame Western foreign policy or, you know, looking to... Uh, and then the, on RTE there were people going... They, they were very concerned about the potential rise of Islamophobia. And I said this in my column yesterday, there's something mm-hmm. profoundly wrong with somebody's moral compass when you can look at 30 people being killed and your first thing to do is to start to worry about an imaginary crime that hasn't happened yet. But the one thing I would say, though, is that the next time you hear some chin-stroke and beyond on some worrying about Islamophobia when Muslims have carried out an attack. The next time the Israelis hit a target in Gaza or in southern Lebanon, you won't see these people on the radio saying, oh, I worry about the rise of anti-Semitism as a result of this. Right? What we're seeing is a massive degree of cowardice and appeasement for this, and it disgusts me at times that these people have, as far as I can see, no morality, that basically the likes of Vincent Brown, they can go on for an hour, look at an attack like that, and then basically blame the West. It's a, it's, it's like looking at a bunch of people who have the political, the geopolitical equivalent of daddy issues, mm. that they just have to blame the Yanks or blame Whitey. It's pathetic. What did you make of Tony Blair's piece? Are you in agreement with him then about, he's saying basically, we writing in the, or, or he's in the Sunday Times today, saying we need to crush, crush you, You've said several things to me in the past that I would have taken umbrage with. The idea that I would agree with Tony Blair is probably now actually gone to the top of the list. Um, well, the thing about it is, this idea that, you know, we should create, he should know. He helped to create the situation. So now he's created, he's helped to create something and create a climate which allowed this to come out and now he's condemning it. And uh, I wonder how much he was paid for that speech anyway. Mm. Um, 
David, just just very finally, I mean, obviously what happened in Brussels was horrendous. The other awful thing that happened last Sunday night uh, was that, that just unspeakable tragedy uh, in Bunkrana. And there is an extraordinary piece in the Sunday Independent today written by Elbert Toomey, who, a woman who lost her her husband, her, her, her son, son and, unborn baby, and her yeah. unborn baby in a, in a crash when a, a suicidal driver drove into their air car. And she writes... With extraordinary dignity and courage today. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever said this before, but you should go out and buy the Sunday Independent to read this piece today. Um, uh, Elbert Toomey's piece is 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 deeply moving. It's inc- it's an incredible piece. It's written to the um, the poor mother in um, Bunkrana. That's a huge the last, amount in for uh, a relatively it, short piece. It's, 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 um, just just uh, you know we're talking a lot about heroes she probably remember this this week the you know David Walsh is a hero and certainly Elbert Toomey is a hero for writing that piece and thinking of um thinking of those in Bunkrana when she herself was coping with an enormous um, an enormous loss. But that's, I think, I mean, I mean, David particularly, I mean, he represented the best. I mean, in a week where we've all been gazing at our navels about what a hundred years of, you know, the Irish state and all that, I mean, somebody like him and David represents the best of all of us. Yeah, absolutely. He really do. I mean, it's just, it was such a horrific story. Can I make just point you, before we move off um, Brussels to say that, uh, you know, what happened has to be condemned by anybody what happened there are no excuses the people that went out and decided to set those bombs were appalling people and they carried out an appalling act uh, on Tuesday but the people that we meet uh, as an organisation goal the people in Syria the people we meet as refugees in Turkey um, those people are running from exactly the same thing as people were forced to run from in Brussels on Tuesday Okay, uh, we'll leave it there. My thanks to uh, David Leach and to Ian O'Doherty. Uh, unfortunately, Mary Work wasn't in a position uh, to join us today because of those traffic restrictions, which was uh, unfortunate. But thanks to, to David and uh, to Ian.